0: They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
2: Hi listeners, Michael here. Just before the episode starts this week, just a word of warning. We do talk about the film I Spit on Your Grave, which is a controversial and very gnarly rape-revenge film. So consider that a content warning if you'd rather not hear about those themes. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader.
3: I'm Sophie Monks Kaufman. And I'm Eleanor Lezick.
2: On the show this week, Jack Odiar weaves together tales of millennial romance in Paris' 13th district. Director Ty West returns to horror with the exploitation throwback X. And in Film Club, we're looking back at the still controversial rape revenge film I Spit on Your Grave. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Sophie. And Sophie, the last time you were on was Best Films of 2021. How's 2022 been for you so far?
3: Well, actually, um, last night I saw an amazing piece of theatre. So maybe film film's on the out for me. Theatre's on the in.
2: <laughs> Can you say what the, what the play was? Yeah,
3: yeah. It's called The Drifter's Girl. And it's on at the Garrick Theatre. It's about... The um, Motown group, the Drifters, and mm. um, that they're most famous for. Like they had an incredible, like I think they had about had about eighty band members. Like it was a ro- revolving cast over the years, and most famously, Benny King arose out of them. But they just, it's like banger after banger. But also, it's a really interesting story of like they were one of the first ever groups to be managed by a woman of color, and of course. Uh, she dealt with a whole load of stuff, but also because there was such a revolving cast of drifters, there were lots of counterfeit drifters bands p- popping up, um, some of which contained former drifters, and she had to like she got sued by one of them for, um, and sort of had to go to court to prove that they were the real drifters. Um, but yeah, it's just like incredible musical performances, and it it, it folds in like lots of like very tragic details uh, of course like being a motown band like touring in the 50s was not just a walk in the park so it folds in all these like details of American racism and just some of the band members met tragic ends but like it's still got this incredible momentum forward and just Beverly Knight plays the drifters girl and her voice like made me cry on several occasions
2: oh so theatre is the art form we need right now Uh, yeah (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Eleanor, how have you been? Um what's what's new with you? You've just written a review of Deep Water. For oh yeah. lwlies.com.
1: Yes. Um <laughs> yeah, it's a film that's uh, been out on my mind. I mean, it's such a it's a, it's such a fun movie. And when I watched it I just assumed everybody would agree with me and that was not the case, so I thought I had to come out and say the truth about the yeah. movie. The truth.
2: We should say we should say Deep Water isn't part of the whole shark exploitation micro genre from about five ten years ago. Even though there was a film called Deep Water, or it's Open Water. Oh, is the film in that genre? Yeah. Deep Water is Anna de Armas, Ben Affleck, Adrian Lyne, erotic, erotic thriller. Gorilla.
1: Yeah, not to not be the
3: anti same. movie again. I'm reading the Patricia Highsmith novel on which it's based, and it's a million times better than the film.
1: <laughs> well. I've I've been told it's very, very different to the point where even just the dynamic between the characters is like just not the same. Like there's just if it they just changed it immensely and it's got barely anything to do with Patricia Heismith, the film in the end, so
3: mm, yeah. Well. I mean changes have been made. That's for sure.
2: <laughs> well, That is another new release that you can go and read about on LDBLies.com. I strongly recommend that you do. And we're going to leave theatre and literature behind, perhaps, for the rest of the show. Sophie, I'm afraid we're going to be talking about new releases at The Pictures this week, starting first with Paris 13th District. Here's a bit of blurb about Paris 13th district adapted from three stories by acclaimed graphic novelist Adrian Tomine. The film's set in a district of residential towers in the French capital and charts the interwoven relationships between four 20-somethings who are friends, sometimes lovers and often both. Now before we dive into this film we're very fortunate to have an interview with Jacques Odiard himself by our own Hannah Strong. Let's have a listen to them.
0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number Store or sleepnumber.com.
4: Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness.
5: Le film est basé sur uh, « A Journey to means Killing and Dying ». Donc, pouvez-vous parler un peu about the challenges d'adapter un comic
6: book à un script
4: Je ne me souviens pas, moi, de difficultés particulières. Je crois que il, il y a dû y en avoir, je pense. Je ne me
6: souviens pas de difficultés. Il y en a
4: Il y en a une que je suppose, c'est celle de, 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 des, euh, des ellipses, tu vois, entre les cases. Ou, euh, parfois, il y a parfois des sautes de temps, des choses comme ça. C'est une comment c'est, c'est, c'est comment le, c'est le la, la matière du, du, de la bande dessinée est beaucoup plus elliptique. Et donc il va y avoir, par exemple, il va y avoir entre deux cases des choses absolument considérables qui se, ah. qui se sont passées, mais qui ne sont pas rep- mm. représentées. On en voit juste euh, comment les, 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 le, 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 le début et puis une conclusion. Mm. Mais, mais le développement, euh, mm. et ça, alors ça peut-être que ça crée une difficulté. Euh, Entre deux
6: frames, beaucoup peut se passer. Et parfois, on ne voit pas le développement d'une action, on voit juste le start et la conclusion. Et ça peut créer des difficultés à adapter. Parce que vous devez faire le
5: gap comme writer. est qu'il faut remplir le. Ce qui oui, c'est
4: des... ça, ou, ou c'est, laissé, euh, comment, c'est, 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 c'est laissé à votre réflexion, quelque chose ne vous est pas indiqué. Tu comprends ce que yeah.
6: je veux dire Oui, et c'est laissé à votre imagination. C'est pas indiqué ou donné à vous.
4: Mais je pense que comment. Alors c'est intéressant, c'est que je, mais je pense mm. qu'historiquement,
6: <laughs> euh, le, le,
4: le, le, le cinéma, pour une part, vient de la bande dessinée. Mm
6: cinema uh, historically uh, for some part cinema comes from comics. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but actually, storyboard is uh, the storyboard. Oui, for example, but c'est format. c'est c'est
4: comment c'est c'est le, le à un certain moment, on sent que la bande dessinée appelle le cinéma. Mm. Donc à un certain moment de son histoire.
6: Yeah, at some point in its history, comics, so, um, comic comic uh, comics, yeah, um, uh, call call on to the cinema. To or, or or... Et
4: après, à partir du moment, où le, partir du moment où le cinéma existe vraiment avec ses modes de narration, mm. ça revient vers la bande dessinée. On voit comment la bande dessinée s'est inspirée, s'inspire du cinéma. À
6: l'inverse. Voilà, c'est uh, ça. À partir des années 20. Uh, 20s, 30s. Mm. You can mm. see how the comics would then be influenced by cinema. So yes. it's the opposite that happens. So I know that
5: there was quite a long rehearsal process for the film, three months. Um, what did that process look like? Was it sort of workshopping and um, getting to know each other as cast members and
6: things? Je demande les répétitions et comment c'était comment c'était organisé.
4: Attends, tu en as un meilleur souvenir que moi. Okay.
6: Um, we had this uh, location we could go to with three rooms: one for makeup, one for uh, costumes, and one for choreography. And uh, we had a planning. Uh, we would go either alone or with our pa- I- acting partners, and we'd have scheduled um, rehearsals with the choreographer, Stephanie Chen. Rehearsals with Virginie Montel on artistic direction and on, on costumes. And uh, j'ai oublié la make um and um and make up, so there was a sort of workshops. then Jack would come some days and then look at the progression, and then we would show him our ideas, things we worked on, and then he will he would he would adjust um um approve or disapprove or you know More. and um and then after that, we all met at uh, a theater a real theater in Paris called the Théâtre du Rond-Point, the roundabout theatre it's called, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a really good theatre. And then we, in front of the technical team, all the actors, even the small, small parts, even the silent parts, we were all sitting in chairs all around the stage and there was you know, a sofa, a table in chairs, a bed, and we did the whole movie oh, from wow. start to finish, like a Dogville sort of vibe.
4: <laughs> In the real time.
6: In real time. That's incredible. It feels yeah. more like a theatre yeah. piece than like doing a yeah. film. And I think partly it was. Um, I mean, you never get to do that with movies because mm. you never meet the others. Yeah. You know. Well, because it was a comedy, it was really interesting to do it because you'd realise what was people would laugh at. Mm what was funny, what was not funny. You thought that was funny, it's, it's not where they laughed. So that was, that was interesting. And partly, a new real answer to that is because also Lucy mm. was, it was for her, it was sort of um, breaking the ice, I don't mm, know, because uh, mm. she was the first movie. And I think Jack wanted to. C'est uh, pour elle. Pour
4: elle. Oui,
6: it was important pour for her. It was important for
4: her. Yeah,
6: but for her, yeah, even more. It was important for her even more, yeah yeah to bring her because she'd never acted in a movie and i think it was just to give her more experience and she acted
4: yeah. at, at all and she
6: never acted before at all yeah gosh so it was, she needed the that crash experience you know, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. um
5: could you talk about the decision to shoot in black and white because
4: i thought that was really interesting <laughs> J'ai beaucoup tourné à Paris, j'ai fait beaucoup de films dont des scènes se passaient à Paris. Donc, je, Paris,
6: donc yeah. je, connais, je,
4: je connais un petit peu les, les limites de la ville que and j'aime. C'est que, que son côté très très muséal, très historique. C'est, c'est toujours un peu la même chose, la Seine, la cathédrale, le Saint-Germain, the le Saint-Germain, le Louvre, mmh. les tuileries. C- et puis c'est pas comment le, les, 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 les perspectives sont, sont, ne, ne sont pas très grandes dans, dans Paris les, les, les avenues That's ne sont good. pas si grandes que ça les bon, avenues ne
6: sont pas si et il n'y a, a
4: et vous savez euh, Paris c'est une beaucoup plus petite ville que Londres par
6: exemple
4: et donc j'avais envie de la, de la, de, 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 d'être à Paris comme si j'étais ailleurs comme, oh, comme si je voyais Paris like d'ailleurs et donc else. le noir et blanc me... Le noir et blanc qui est très, très graphique me, me, me permettait ça, mais surtout sur un arrondissement comme le 13 e qui est un arrondissement où, je te conse- où il y a quand même des, des choses nouvelles qui se sont faites.
6: Le noir et blanc que je n'étais pas Paris. Okay there distance and peut-être
4: retrouver it's different
6: mm. as well it's not et, the
4: retrouver we ce out. truc qu'il y avait dans, dans justement dans les films noirs et blancs des années 60 dans ascenseur pour l'échafaud, mm. les quelque chose choses très
6: expressives films oh oui yeah, really. uh,
4: comment échafaud um, c'est 57 okay
6: um so uh, um, to find also that, that that the sort of black and white movies in paris like elevator mm. the gallows in 57
5: yeah brilliant thank you that's beautiful I, I didn't think of it like that it is yeah. when you're very familiar with the city yeah you're seeing it in a yeah. different light literally what can you do yeah <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. change it yeah and i the contrast between the black and white uh, et score
4: film C'est vrai, ça. en plus, il y a la musique de Ron par là-dessus. Où, right. où ça, où ça, oui, ça, ça, ça dit la même chose. Voilà. Ça, dit, ça dit la même chose sur euh, comment on, une modernité. Ça serait exagéré, mm. mais c'est une, une façon de voir les choses différemment. Mm. C'est pas,
6: euh, euh, precise, ce qui est marrant,
4: well. c'est que je, je pensais. Euh,
6: Certain modernity, the word is a bit c'est au, au,
4: au tout début, quand j'écrivais, j'écoutais beaucoup Schubert, j'écoutais beaucoup les mm. sonates de Schubert, notamment à la 850, et je pensais que ça serait la musique du film. et euh, la like Schubert would be the music of the
6: film.
4: Et qu'en fait, ça, ça n'a pas marché du tout.
6: Didn't
4: work. Pas du <rire> tout. Justement pour ça, c'est parce que c'était pas... Reason, yeah. Il aurait fallu reprendre Schubert, comme, comme Kubrick a repris uh, Beethoven. Uh. Euh, comment elle s'appelle cette... Uh, Gomez, euh, euh, comment elle s'appelle euh, C'est une trance C'est elle qui a adapté, qui a adapté, euh, de, comment, uh, back, uh, ba, ba, back uh, au Moog. Ah! Uh, Beethoven. Tu sais, euh, comment elle s'appelait? Euh, mm, elle s'appelait, je ne sais pas quoi, et puis après, elle a changé de nom, mais, mais c'était, c'est, c'est un génie. Alors, alors j'aurais pu faire ça avec Schubert. Euh,
6: one would have had to use Schubert, like Kubrick used to Beethoven in, in uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Uh, in Cla- Clockwork Orange. Yeah, and I suppose
5: because the characters are younger as well, having something quite contemporary um mm. also connect bridges the gap between the black and white
6: well point. i actually think i mean just this is me talking about I actually think the music is a, almost like a fifth character it's a bit of a cliche to say that but it's actually true i think
4: it works oui, in perfect. this
6: occasion yeah Mm, yeah,
4: Parce que a, c'est vrai que la, la, la musique par rapport aux images, comment the elle, a, elle a, comment elle est elle est comment elle, elle fait comme ça, elle, elle rejoint, elle s'éloigne, elle rejoint, elle
6: s'éloigne. Ah, interesting. He that the music of Rhone, um, is, or so you know Zidale, like a sort of, it it, it came, comes closer and goes away, comes closer, mm. to, comes closer to what? Ça, ça c'est comment, de quoi, comment, c'est comme si, c'est, c'est, c'est,
4: c'est parfois, as le sentiment qu'elle va devenir illustrative, mais puis elle ne l'est pas. Tu vois, c'est, mmh. c'est, c'est comme, c'est comme it si it's elle, like elle navigue.
6: C'était pas. Euh,
4: et quand je travaille, euh, euh, j'ai beaucoup travaillé avec un musée avec Alexandre Desplat, par exemple. Et Alex, on est beaucoup plus sur les séquences. Là, là le, j'ai l'impression. Le, l'ancien, quoi,
6: l'ancien euh, euh, enfin, celui avec qui tu oui, travailles, avec qui j'ai
4: beaucoup travaillé. On était beaucoup plus sur les séquences. C'est quoi son nom Alexandre Desplat.
6: So he worked before on uh, on music with Alexandre Desplat. Oh yeah, yeah, um, many times, and it's a very different approach because they're much more closer on scenes. <laughs> on
4: the scenes, and that, and and that, and that, and that,
5: and like it can be it can work separately as well it does it's some sort yeah. it actually does yeah. i listen to the yeah, soundtrack, it's it's so. yeah, <laughs> j'aime le soundtrack yeah it's great yeah me too yeah, I
6: like it. Uh, well and a musician you know you would know as well yeah, you know, and i collaborated with ron and, and and jack didn't know actually <laughs> yes. that i knew ron before yeah i would worked with him before
5: yeah he's a beautiful sport um, yeah. i was yeah, to yeah, it really this morning especially yeah, me too. um in a city listening to that i music know. as well it's, and he yeah. puts you
6: back into the movie it i love when he does that. yeah it does
5: it, yeah I, I don't know if you've seen um there's a lynn ramsey film called you never really hear with johnny greenwood's uh score, oh, okay, and okay. it's a similar type similar, of feeling. yeah, yeah no, it puts I you right back in um so in terms of your past work you seem very um drawn to stories about outsiders uh, particularly within France would you kind of agree with that and if so do you um, what do you think the kind of fascination is
4: Je sais pas je, je vois un peu ce que vous voulez dire mais je, et, mais je sais pas comment je, 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 je sais pas quelle réponse j'aurais euh... I I Si alors je, je, si j'ai un début de réponse <laughs> J'ai un début de réponse euh, Mais vous trouvez, juste parenthèse, vous trouvez que dans les Olympiades, ils sont tellement euh, en dehors de la société. I think
6: that in Paris 13, there are outsiders. I think that the way
5: Emily's character in particular is presented is mm-hmm. quite um,
6: confronting as an audience member because she's so um, abrasive. Emily, elle est assez abrasive, elle est assez confronte. Euh, oui,
4: mais comment elle est comment elle est problème. elle est, elle est euh, Elle, est, elle a fait des études elle, elle vient life,
6: elle refuse elle, elle elle refuse mais elle
4: elle a, elle a tous les moyens pour, 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 pour s'intégrer yeah. dans la société right.
6: Camille Cam, Cam,
4: Cam, Cam, Paille, ce sont des bourgeois ce same. sont des bourgeois éduqués dire, they
6: are educated, sport, mm, mm. Alors, middle class. pour
4: pour le début de réponse que j'avais Pour la question initiale, pourquoi les, les, les all ouais, ça. Ça Parce que je, je pense que, comment il y, y a quelque chose qui m'intéresse presque d'un point de vue, euh, d'un point de vue humain et d'un point de vue scénaristique, c'est la question à combien de vie on a le droit À combien, ah, vie voilà, à combien de vies on a le droit Voilà, combien de chances on a le droit Alors je pense que, mm. et, et combien et combien a, va vous coûter la deuxième vie
6: ah, on a human point of view but also on the screenplay point of view. Um I'm interested in um how many uh life we can have. How many chances mm. we can have and what's the price of taking that
4: Et qu'est-ce que price. ça coûte Et, et, et la deuxième de second one. Uh, what, is, what is the price of the second one mm. mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, il est toujours élevé
5: the price is always high yes and in, in the film obviously there's so many times where we kind of um are willing the characters to behave in a certain way and they don't and i think it's mm. why the ending you feel
4: kind of
6: so relieved because finally they've <laughs> learned, they've learned <laughs> tout le film tu as envie qu'ils fassent certaines choses ils ne les font pas et à la fin enfin ils euh... Mais ils font
4: autre chose à la fin Ils peuvent avoir un but, un mm. but, euh, dans, dans un film, je, 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 je me cite, dans, dans, euh, je, je, parce que je m'en souviens, malheureusement, dans, dans, dans Debatte. Ils
6: peuvent avoir un mais mais début du film, et puis ils font quelque chose
4: d'autre. Mais son, le, le, like vrai, a, le, vrai, le, le véritable objectif atteint et satisfaisant ne sera pas le but qui se oh, sera désigné.
6: Le but
4: qui se sera
6: désigné, au pas ce que... Mais like yes. it's, it's it's, it's, it's c'est le même pour
4: lui. Oui, c'est ça.
6: Oui, c'est le même dans le prophète. Le
4: prophète veut
6: rester out of trouble dans le fin. Oui,
4: bien he sûr. He, oui. Et, he et, he uh, we'll mais il sera une autre place. Il sera une autre place. Comment dans Debattre, il veut passer une audition, ce qui est totalement absurde. On a envie de lui dire tout le film et tu vas la rater. Il la rate. Il rate, mais à la fin, il, il, il The big man has
6: skipped. He wants to do that audition oui. and he fails. And so film, we know, he's gonna fail. <laughs> yeah.
4: Il y a que lui qui pense qu'il va réussir. But he's the only
6: one who thinks he can do it. Yeah. Mais à
4: la fin, il va réussir autre chose.
6: But at the end, he's gonna succeed at something else. That's great. That's Thank very you. beautiful. That was, yeah, all these films about.
4: C'était une leçon de c- scénario. <laughs> uh,
6: that was a screenplay lesson. <laughs> <laughs> All these rounds. So, okay.
5: so, it was so free didn't...
4: for this time. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Second time with charges
2: Thank you to Hannah for picking up that interview for us and thank you to Jacques Odiard for joining us on the podcast. So Eleanor, let's dive into this as sorry to cast you as the Resident French <laughs> <laughs> You were the Resident Rent fan last time we had you on and now the French view on a film like Paris 13th District. As we said, it's adapted from short stories by Adrian Tomine, who's very much an American comic artist. It's quite a funny uh, kind of process of adaptation and translation, taking his stories over the Atlantic and into Paris. How does this play out for you? Does it work?
1: Um, so I'm not at all familiar with uh, the work of Adrian Tominay. Um But when I first saw the film, my first impression was that, wow, this is really American. <laughs> Just, <laughs> right, uh, right basically because this is a film about um, young people in Paris and obviously as you would expect there's a lot of sex there's a lot of um, relationships and things like this not not that actually what I liked about it is that it's not just about that but there's a lot of that and I just thought the way people related to each other and the things that they cared about and the things that were sort of not neurotic but you know that that really upset them I just thought the whole approach didn't strike me at all as the way people as far as i know are in paris <laughs> uh just for mm-hmm. like most of these things I, I just for most of these kids just that wouldn't bother them so much um yeah can you yeah
2: could, can you can you pinpoint any specific kind of what, what do you what do you mean by these sort of neurotic existential whatever sort of things that are uniquely american uh, maybe because we have a couple of interlocking stories here um character you know characters interweaving you know, anyone in particular you'd, you'd point out as being um american you say not,
1: not so much like it's not so much the characters themselves it's just uh, the relationship between them so there's a there's there are two of them for example they have a sort of very casual uh relationship like sexual relationship mm-hmm. and then they start to not be able to handle that that because one of them wants more the other doesn't uh, and i just thought the whole thing just i, I didn't believe it I just thought, mm-hmm. like, well, who cares? Like, they, <laughs> I don't think they would care. Um, and I don't know. Obviously, I mean, that, that's not necessarily American. I guess I don't want to say mm-hmm. that American people are like that. I just mean American cinema more, like right. the whole the sort of drama of it, the, the the sensibility. Just didn't strike me at all as believable as the way uh, French people would do would be. And actually, I mean, I think it kind of makes sense if you think about the cinema of Jacques Audiard, because I think a lot of his cinema is quite sort of Americanized in a way. Like, mm-hmm. it's quite bombastic. And um, there are some... Even just stylistically, sometimes... Maybe not th- this one so much, but stylistically, they're, they're quite... Um, almost blockbuster you know. Like, there's big things happening, a lot of drama, a lot of things that, that we don't necessarily associate, at least not with arthouse French cinema, but also just not in general with French cinema that much. Um, so it kind of makes sense for him to do it. But I, I just... Even without the whole, like, American thing, I just didn't find it convincing Mm -hmm. at all as people. I just didn't buy them, really. Um, Despite the fact that I think all the actors are pretty great. um, Except, I mean, I don't want to say except, but I don't really like Noemi Merlin's characterization. I think her character is maybe one of the most interesting ones in the film, but her performance, I think, sometimes is a bit too much. Um taking the film into like contrasting with the other actors performances which are so nuanced and understated and i thought her performance was like a bit too like a different film which i think is another Mm -hmm. problem with the movie because it's obviously it's all about people who are connected in some way in paris in this particular neighborhood um and the risk is that the stories don't really gel together Mm. and i thought sometimes they didn't um but yeah
2: yeah, with with Noemi Noemi Melon, it's uh, that interesting situation where she's had that sort of global breakout with Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and now she's somebody that we'll always look for mm-hmm. in the cast list. It's a name that will jump out with a film like this or the film that came out last year where she was in love with a roller coaster. That was that was her, that Jumbo, right. Jumbo. Yeah, but she is uh, uh, playing alongside. You know, re- relative newcomers, particularly Lucy Zhang, is m- much more of a newcomer. And uh, how, how how does she uh, strike you a, b- a bit more, more positively?
1: I thought her character was the most interesting one because uh, she's the most no nonsense, mm-hmm. and uh, because also it's just rare in cinema to see characters who are not you know white. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I liked everything about her character. I almost wish there had been more of it because I thought she was the actress was also so amazing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not... I thought her character was maybe the more... The one I believed in more. The one I believed more that I thought was more um, realistic. Um, so yeah, less so than the Naomi Merlin one. And the Naomi mm. Merlin story also touches on some like... Social media is changing the way we live things. And I'd, I always have a bit of a trouble with that. <laughs> and I didn't think it worked. I just didn't think it, it was convincing.
2: Mm. Sophie, convincing, believing... How did this strike you? Were you on board?
3: I thought it was pure loveliness. And Jacques uh-huh. O'Diard is a director who likes to work in genres. Um, you know, he's kind of known for his grittier stuff, uh, like a Prophet and the film that won him, The candor Deepan. But, you know, he's made a Western with the sisters' brothers. And this is his rom-com. And I think in a rom-com, I don't look for, like, are these characters totally and utterly inhabited? Um... It's more just like, is the performance working scene by scene? And the acting in this is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like as well, it, it it's not just a rom-com, but it's kind of that shortcuts thing of like here, we were with these characters for a short time and it was such a pleasure to be with them. And... There was this kind of, you know, like, he, the decision to film in black and white. And I don't know who did the music, but that as well. It's all just kind of lifting it, lifting it, lifting it. And I just think, as, like, as a rom-com, it, it's, it's it's utterly sublime. Um, and in a gentle way that sneaks up on you. It's just, mm-hmm. like, you know, there are some slowier, rockier bits. I don't think it's, like, every moment of it It totally works. Like, in listening to what Eleanor said, you know... Um, I'm not obsessed with the Nomi Merlin section by any stretch of the imagination but I just feel like the, the way it all hangs together and like the way it ends and Lucy Zhang's character Emily she gets the last word and it's perfect like to perfection um, so yeah it's it just it it left me it left me wanting nothing more than exactly what it was
2: and what what's your take on when a film like you mentioned Shortcuts when it when you're interweaving lots of stories or a number of stories it does as we said in the in the synopsis try to make a comment on a generation or a community or a space or a place or a time and do you think i mean erna maybe you can be more reflective on the sort of literal parisian angle but so did that work for you about this sort of statement on millennial love and romance today
3: no not at all uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's a fantasy it's a little concoction um yeah, I don't think it works on that level. And I, do, do we think that that is what he's reaching for, this 69-year-old Or is it man?
2: marketing? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, that's the thing. I, I couldn't really tell whether it was supposed to be... Because, I mean, the, in French, the, I mean, it's the same sort of kind of title as in English. It's Les Olympiades, which is the name of the neighbourhood, which I don't think I've actually ever been to. But I, I read a lot about it when I had to write my review and stuff. And it's like, uh, it was created as this sort of like idealistic uh, neighborhood where there would be everything you need and 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 like it was like there's a pure like dream in it and it was created i think in the i don't want to say something to 60s 70s and it still exists now and it's sort of like yeah university neighborhood uh but also all these different people mingling in that place and so i think i think to make a film set there and especially considering that the original stories are not at all set there It must be that he wants to say something. It must be that it's like, I want to talk about this place and all the intersecting stories in this incredible uh, neighborhood that's got incredible architecture um, that sort of forces all these currents of different people to encounter one another. So it felt to me like it was trying to say something, but I, I, like you, I wasn't convinced by that. And I wish, I actually, I think what you're saying about it being a rom-com, I actually wish I had felt that it was a rom-com more. I think, because I, I think when he did the Western sisters brothers, I thought that was a great, just an amazing film. And so I'm like, why? Well, yeah, just, just do a rom-com do like a Jennifer Aniston rom-com do it. Cause he can, he can, I'm sure he can.
3: Yeah. Well, he said he wants to do a musical next and actually wow. he lived in Les Olympiades for a while. So this is, maybe the romance here is, as well as is, is his relationship to the area. Um, I, I interviewed him in Cannes and he was very, very funny. He like, um, there was some money sticking out of his wallet and he pretended to give me a bribe. And I was like, it's okay, <laughs> I already like the film. You don't need the to. The truth comes out. <laughs> yeah. I took the money and here I am. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think I'd need to go on podcasts if I would accepted the bribe from Jack Oliad. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, I I don't I don't know like it it if it holds up as as something that's really cutting or anything. I think it's just like a little, a lovely little slice of whimsy. And it mm. again like maybe I'm affected by the fact of like really not expecting it from him. Um, it was playing in Cannes, and I I was gonna not go and see it because I was like I I just don't know if I'm interested. And um, then early word was coming back that it was not at all like mm-hmm. that sort of slice of brutality on the parisian streets at all and so (laughs) i i i I, yes i I, think that's maybe influencing me a bit i just i just didn't expect it from him and i guess that is something to be cheered on in a director someone who can turn their hand to all manner of things and he's really unpredictable like that did i say he wants to do a musical next i think i did
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe he should adapt that musical you were talking about earlier sophie
3: Oh, the drifters girl no he he,
2: he can't do that <laughs> keep your hands off yeah okay let's let's put some scores on paris 13th district Eleanor, i'll come to you first so this is out of five in anticipation enjoyment in retrospect
1: um i would say anticipation four because it i thought it was you know intriguing um and i'd heard a lot about adrian Tommine i had i haven't read him yet i haven't read him at all but um i know that people all i respect like his work such as such as you michael and uh jake (laughs) and of other people um so i was excited for it enjoyment i would say i would say free and free for enjoyment and in retrospect because i don't think it's like actively bad or actively you know offensive in any way or things like this but i just i was once i understood what it was well that sounds a bit arrogant but i didn't understand what it was doing but once i sort of got the idea of what it was happening i was like oh okay um and it just did that and I was like oh this is not as you know interesting as I thought as I expected or as I hoped at least so but but still I mean as you say Sophie it's exciting to see a filmmaker try stuff like this that he's never done before and you know um showing a different side of uh, French people and French uh, culture and also just like very interesting on a visual level Um, and because it's all in black and white I don't know if we mentioned that um but yeah, so I would say 3-3. Free, free. Still worth mm-hmm. seeing, you know.
2: Sophie, your scores.
3: Yeah, so 3, I really didn't care for Deepan at all. Um, I did like the Sisters Brothers. So a 3. Um, then Enjoyment. First time it was 5. This second time I watched it was a 4. So we'll go with 4. Um, because no one's in their right mind in can. Everyone's ready to proca- <laughs> proclaim everything a masterpiece. Uh, yeah, I just really liked... Something I didn't mention is, like... Yeah, it, it, it's set in these big tower blocks, but it really creates this kind of cosy feeling of being in these little microcosms with these characters, which is so nice. Um, so, yeah, so three, four, and then four. Good movie.
2: Mm-hmm. Go see it. Well, there you have it, listeners. I'd be really intrigued to know what people make of this, particularly people who have read Tomine's comics. And if I'm allowed a brief nerd corner moment, it is such a radical adaptation. They're taking literally just a character idea, not even the story, and then we, I'd probably say that this is eighty-five percent original, and uh, not. It, it's very weird as a reader of what would more often be called like independent comics or graphic novels. Um, it's very rare for me to have these sort of moments of um, nerd rage or uh, come out of a screening and talk about comics accuracy, which is normally what like our nerdier friends would come out saying Spider-Man's <sighs> suit should have raised webbing, and this one doesn't have raised webbing. I don't like that. At all. <laughs> Batman's cowl looks wrong in the Batman, things like that. But it's really it's a really fascinating um, interpretation because, as you say, uh, Eleanor, this, it resets it all in Paris, but the original stories are set all across America, mostly in suburban areas, quite boring, humdrum suburban areas. So that idea that you're in a big, bustling city is not present in the original comics. But Tomine, outside of his comics, through the covers that he does for The New Yorker and other places like that, he has become a chronicler of New York experience. There was a particular cover that he did um, December 2020, I think, which was um, went very viral as an amazing way of capturing the lockdown experience of the pandemic, where it's um, a woman on a Zoom call with a little glass of champagne in her hand, toasting the call, and that's just immaculately composed, that little square, but her whole apartment around her is an absolute mess. (laughs) Um, And lots of little vignettes like that, that um, I I think add up to, in its own way, an amazing comment on a generation, a community, a place. But that's my little nerd corner momentlessness. That was great. That sounds well (laughs) worth reading.
3: But also, Michael, you've just reminded me, like maybe something a little bit adding to the sense of, like, dislocation that Eleanor was talking about, and not necessarily Mm -hmm. feeling like Paris is... You know, there were three writers. Initially, it was Odiad and Selin And then mm-hmm. they stopped work on it and Skiyama wasn't available. So they got in Léa Mesus And I think where Jacques Odiad has that relationship to the neighbourhood, Celine um, Skiyama, I know, wasn't drawing from Paris, although obviously she knows Paris. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, so maybe, like, there's like Frankenstein's monsters approach to the location. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. Many steps along the way, rather than it being something like, um, you know, some of the great city symphony type films that we know from manhattan to wonderland where it is the filmmaker and the writer looking around themselves at the world they live in even someone like richard curtis even though he um has a very specific chocolate box view of london he is responding to a london that he knows and lives in in his head mm-hmm. <laughs> in his privileged mind <laughs> uh this anyway,
3: timeless banger
1: it's very realistic this is, this is real life in London Notting Hill I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> happens to me all the time
2: so for your back on your Hugh Grant soapbox you'll be talking about <gasps> music and lyrics in a minute we, <laughs> <if we laughs> <let you. laughs> but listeners let us know what you think of Paris 13th District if you see it this, at this weekend at Lies on Twitter truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email up next we have X <laughs> X follows an adult film crew who come to a remote Texas farmhouse to film a porno movie. Sensing something is immediately off about the elderly owners of the property, the crew learns that their scepticism was right as their host's true intentions arise. Um, so Sophie, could you untangle it a little bit for us? Like, how much of this is pastiche, parody, tributes to this sort of exploitation era of cinema? How much can it just be enjoyed as someone who doesn't know that background?
3: That's the question that I was really directing at myself because I'm not an expert in horror cinema, but I'm a film journalist and I've seen a lot of films and a lot of the moments that were making me laugh were the moments he was nailing that were pastiche. Um, Like I think in a way he does have his cake and eat it in the sense that he teases a lot of the deaths and a lot of the scares because characters are doing things that you're like, that's just not going to go well for you. But then they also, you are genuinely jumping out of your seat and I, I watched this thing next to Eleanor. I saw her hiding her face at one moment, and I was like crawling in the back of my chair. So it's quite a bitter, it's experience. But I would be curious to know if it, if it lands for people as well, like the humor of it, because there's a humor to it, and the humor comes from the like fourth wall breaking, winking, especially in the form of this. So th- this crew of seventy, like seventies individuals, going to make a, a porno, There's one of them who's a director and he gets a lot of the best lines and you kind of feel like that's Ty West uh, like because he's kind of saying stuff about how yeah you can make a really art house movie about anything um and you kind of feel like that's Ty West being like guys come with me on this one um so yeah i think it's it's like a very beautiful uh, accomplished piece of filmmaking on a technical level like the 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 costumes the stylings all of it um the way it's put together with some like very self-conscious wipes and split screen stuff it is very entertaining um but yeah like the story in and of itself is a very meat and potatoes slasher um and it's not really a, a, gr- a great deal to say about it apart from the fact no. that um I'm wondering which elderly people hurt Ty West like maybe he just has a bad <laughs> relationship with his grandparents or something. because like um ever since I watched George Romero's The Ami- Amusement Park which is incredible piece of work and it's about ageism in society i'm like yeah there's a lot of ageism in society and a lot of that ageism (laughs) has uh congregated in this movie um Mm. and that's very unscrutinized and uh, a little bit a little bit of a sour note for me
2: anna what did you make of this and also ty west is a name that you know people who have been around for 10 years or more will remember that he was part of that wave of independent horror filmmakers maybe the smart ass generation of post Eli Roth filmmakers making films on a low budget that were you know playing to horror tropes but also having fun within them like House of the Devil, The Innkeepers Then he made a, what's it called in the Valley of Violence a a western movie and went away for a while. Now he's back doing horror again at, at a low budget. Um how, how is how does it play out for you?
1: Um I, as you say I think he's sort of known for making sort of uh um pastichey things pastiche films uh, but i i what i liked about this film is that i was really afraid i was just going to be a pastiche and it was just going to be like wink wink uh oh slasher movies are stupid like people are they go they go in the house and they shouldn't go in the house and like yeah okay uh and i i think I, I don't really like this attitude in general because of the slasher film yes yeah, like like many film genres it's got you know rules and things that happen and and we know they're gonna happen but that's not, that doesn't mean it's you know, necessarily stupid. And I think uh, what he manages to do really well in X is that it doesn't, it's not just about pastiche. Like, it's also just quite a really beautifully made slasher film. Um, so mm. if you enjoy slashers, he, which he definitely does, I mean, there's no doubt about it, you can also just enjoy it as a good slasher. Uh, almost actually not, not the most original slasher, uh, not the most uh, you know, um, immaculately made slasher film. I think it's a bit too long uh there's so many homages to uh texas chainsaw massacre in it but uh it feels uh like i, I mean i, I don't want to say something stupid but i think i remember texas chainsaw being quite i don't even i don't even know if it is short but it feels short because you're just kind mm-hmm. of you know thrown on this roller coaster and you can't you know get out and i thought this film was had some like bits that were a bit too slow and that didn't really feel like they hadn't anything to do at all with Texas Chainsaw, but, you know, there's not just references to that one. There's lo- ref- references in general to all those kinds of slasher. Um, so you can still enjoy it on that level. Um, and I also really like that it was kind of... Um, in, the, in The most interesting way that it was uh, commenting on the slasher was that it sort of flipped um, the central thesis of most uh, '60s, uh, 70s, 80s slashers, which is promiscuous young people deserve to die. <laughs> and usually it's like the killers are like abstract monsters, you know, they're just people have gone a bit mad in the woods or something. And here he makes it oh no, like it's, you know, a generation who is jealous. Older generation is jealous of uh younger generation's freedom. And so I love the way he makes it like very literal. I agree. It's ageism and it's not, not you know, it's not very nice. Um, but I think he also, what's interesting is he does have some some compassion for these old people too, in some way, Um, and I thought it was interesting the way, yeah, the way it was like making sort of finding the real enemy and it's a very basic enemy, it's it's just, you know, conservatism um, puritanism uh, and all that stuff, and I thought that was fun Um, but mostly I think the, the best thing about it is that it just looks so good and mm. it's, I mean I can't remember the last time I saw a slasher film that looked so good um, just uh, visually just the compositions and the, as you said all the fun editing bits uh, this this, this uh, all that stuff was fun
2: how does this play? I'm going to use that term that we're all going to cringe at. How does this play in the sort of era of elevated horror where horror is all, you know, particularly this, it intrigues me this is made by A24 who very much created this idea that, that you know, that these aren't horror movies, they're art movies. There's something, there's going to be two hours long and boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Ty West is from, the, from, you know, his sort of little miniature heyday was almost before that idea took hold in the industry and he's back with something like this Mm. how does it play in in, in this in this context today
1: um i would say i mean the 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 thing that's more i guess you could say elevated is what i said about like who the who's the source of the horror and you know it's sort of uh, the general uh, outlook on on porn and on, you know, sexual liberation and all that stuff, that's quite progressive mm-hmm. and great. And, like, you can be all smart about it. Um, uh, but I would say, actually, I don't think it, it fits that much. I mean, I was going to say, oh, it doesn't fit that much be- in elevated horror because it's so visceral. But actually, when you think about it, those of the elevated horror films are quite visceral. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, Midsommar has, has come some pretty visceral stuff in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say there's more, like, sort of... not not say cheap frills, but, you know, just pure, like, the person goes in the room and they get brutally murdered. That's it. Like, it's not, it's not about grief, you know. Yeah, it's, it's,
2: yeah <laughs> the monster, the real monster isn't dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yeah exactly.
3: <laughs> I think the elevated horror, if you go in expecting it, you'll be looking for something that isn't necessarily there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, just, like, have to shout out to the performances because that's one of the pleasures. Um, I think one mm-hmm. thing that Tai West understands really well is that it's, like, you know it in a horror film it's people that you really want to look at just as in porn movies it's people that you want to look at so it's like a beautiful cast but it's like it's a entertaining cast like kid cudi is in it as jackson um a real stud who gets a, a great like like wide shot moment um and a, a great singing moment and um yeah the, the the producer i he's an unknown actor or maybe he's known to some people, but he's very funny and it's it's the, the, there's some very chewy performances in this
1: yeah. and actually um, in the screening we were at, it was for the press, and uh it was so funny how all the jokes about uh the director wanting to make an out- outhouse film uh just really landed really beautifully in, in that audience. <laughs> Uh, all the discussions about um, uh, oh, just because it's uh, low budget, uh, it can be art, you know, and all that stuff. It's just lovely stuff. People oh, are rolling
2: uh, in very... the
3: aisles
1: at that. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm very keen to see this. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Innkeepers in particular, uh, so it's great to hear that Ty West is back. Uh, let's put some scores on this. Um, Sophie, I'll come to you first for your three scores.
3: Yeah, I was really, I was really excited to see it, actually. He does seem like a, a special director who's yeah and i think it's his visual language which is something that uh, not a lot of directors have that um so yeah that was a three going in and yeah and then i i, I enjoyed it as a like real like physical experience four but then afterwards i was like hmm, not a lot to shake out of the tin at the end of that so that was a three
2: how uh,
1: yeah I think I would say three going in because I, I, it was really funny I was sitting down and I was like I don't know what this film is I <laughs> had <and> completely <laughs> forgotten what it was about and I was really confused I was like was it called X and I was like oh yeah I get it uh, but it's always nice to you know to go into a movie not knowing anything about it so that was nice uh, enjoyment I would say four and in retrospect I would say four as well because I still I, I agree like I don't think there's that much going on there like you know it doesn't change the world and it's kind of it's not, I think it could have gone much further in, in both the core and sort of just sort of not commentary, you know, not social commentary, but just the ideas could have been a bit more original, but I still thought it was a film that's so beautiful looking and got actual fun, actually fun film, actual fun performances and stuff like that is worth celebrating. So I'm just going to say four and I had a really good time. Like mostly it's just really fun.
2: Mm. Well, listeners, let us know what you make of that, and please take me to task for using the term elevated horror. I do apologise. So now we're going to go from, I don't know what you termed as being a fun horror film, to maybe one that wouldn't be called necessarily a fun horror film. We have I Spit on Your Grave. Jennifer is a writer that's in search of a story. Leaving Manhattan, she rents out a house in Connecticut for the summer, but her idyllic writing retreat is destroyed when she's attacked and sexually assaulted by four men. Thinking that they have left her for dead, she returns and seeks her revenge. So this is a notorious film, a video nasty. Eleanor, what do you make of I Spit on Your Grave watching it from the 2020s eyes?
1: Well, I think it's just an amazing film. Just uh, absolutely incredible I've actually seen it like a bunch of times now because I had to write about it several times and I kind of know it by heart which is you know not really it wasn't like a goal of mine it just happens um and I really think it's just such a perfect film just obviously horrible obviously very unpleasant um but also just it feels to me it, it feels so sincere just that it doesn't You know, sometimes when we think about slasher films or especially rape revenge films, we think, oh, it's just, you know, to see some women being brutalized and it's, you know, sort of this horrible, you know, pleasure that that viewers derive from this. And actually, there's a really funny, well, funny, review by Roger Ebert at the time that's absolutely hilarious. He says, like, people watching this film, they should go to jail. Mm -hmm. Uh, He actually campaigned outside the cinemas to, to tell people, like, don't go see this film and stuff. And I think it's really funny because... The film, I mean, you can't dictate, uh, dictate how people are going to enjoy a film, but uh, me, myself, watching it, and I actually did a piece, piece for it's What Lies, I think, last year or the year before where I watched it with a bunch of my friends who had never seen it. And none of us, you know, enjoyed it in this uh, disgusting, visceral way. We, but we, we're not monsters. Uh, <laughs> but I really think it's just such a beautifully made film because it really gets... Um, it, it gets, at, I think, which is the point of much, a lot of horror is to get something really primal and really deeply felt um, inside all of us, which is something we can all relate to. It's not just about, oh, sometimes it can be just about, I want to watch some horrible things happen that I could never see in real life. Uh, sometimes it's to like really get at some fear and at some something just so profound. And I really feel this film does it mostly in large part because it's so gorgeous to look at uh, there's the older scenes where um, the main character is just sort of in that house and so walking around in nature and just enjoying you know um, being in this place before she's attacked um, are just so like ethereal and just so strange and compelling and then you're you're sort of thrown on in that whole um, I don't know how you say it, but like it's just such a direct experience is what mm-hmm. I'm saying and I, I just think it's such a, it's a I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful film in a way um, and also it's, it's the way she gets her revenge and um, the performance from the actress uh, who is called
2: uh, she, uh, Camille, Camille Keaton. Keaton I think her yeah.
1: performance is just so uh, lived in and, and, and incredible so yeah I just love the film I think it's just uh, one of the best rape revenge films out there
2: I think it's one of the it's it's one of the few of those you know, controversial horror films from a, a period where someone like Roger Rebert would be full, you know, very much read a film in a certain way and take it to task, and they would protest against it even being released. So th- those sorts of core celeb films, it's one of the few ones that hasn't been fully reappraised. Ha- there there are pockets of the community that have reappraised it, but it's not it's still divisive today. Mm-hmm which well, is what I, I find really fascinating about Yeah,
1: it. I mean, they, uh, it came out on a uh, beautiful Blu-ray, I think, two years ago uh, in the UK, um, in a whole box set with all the other films, which are not as good. <laughs> uh, some of them are actively <laughs> awful. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem to be, yeah, get that much recognition. But I really do think it's just a wonderful film. Mm. I, I, I just genuinely think it's great.
2: Sophie, what do you make of it?
3: So... Can I tell my story? I've got a whole story before I answer this question.
2: Your your life story?
3: (laughs) Well, basically, so for my journalism master's, for my master's project, uh, I ended up doing, uh, in the end it proved quite harrowing, it was like an investigative feature into why there are so few convictions for rape in the UK. So um, it was like investigating why so few people reported, why so few reports led to convictions and why so few convictions actually led to meaningful jail time. So that, I was speaking to uh, like a lot of survivors, and then as a sort of sidebar, because it's like a journalism masters, I was doing about films like rape revenge films and films that depicted rape, and this was actually my first ever encounter with David Jenkins, now editor of Look White Lies. Then he was working for Time Out, but I like I needed to phone up a film expert to tell me like what were the like the canonical rape films I needed to watch, but I just spent a very harrowing three days watching so many rape films. And I, that is obviously not the way to do it. And it <laughs> explains my abiding hatred of Gaspar Noé, like, of, irreversible. Mm-hmm. I, like, I still won't touch that film. People ask me to write about it. I say no. But I, because I think, because I watched I, I Spit on Your Grave in that context, and I was just, feel, like, feeling sick at that point. And I had also, as a comparison point, like, the, the very real stories that I've been told. I was like, I don't, I I'm not really like it. I'm not responding to this on the level of cinema. I'm responding to this on the level of it being like the the violence, um, and I still couldn't quite bring myself to watch it again for this film club. So I guess here I am, like a, a sort of counterpoint—not quite the Roger Ebert, but the person who's just so sickened by the concept that I'm—I've not, not quite been ready to watch it again.
2: So Sophie, as part of that research, and as you've had this your career as a film critic since to reflect on it, what do you think of the whole, the, the, the rape film as a genre? Because that's something that's still hotly contested and talked about whether it is something that is as Eleanor said, cinema is a place where we can experience or pay witness to horrible things as an act of catharsis or an act of uh, you know, working through as a culture but what's that?
3: I would say whose catharsis mm. is that working towards um, you know I'm like I don't believe in censorship. I don't believe in any like any genre should be out of order, but um yeah, I as like I, I personally have have had my my fill of that genre uh, and I'm more interested in other types of films. Um, I am interested in films like promising young women and revenge that sort of flip it and play with it in some way. But I was a little bit worried just because uh like we were reviewing X and Spit on my Grave in the same podcast i was like oh is x going to be a rape revenge film um and i was quite happy that it wasn't if anything it was like a rape revenge revenge film you know it was like sex is great and don't anybody forget it um so yeah i don't know i'm not a hu- i'm not a huge fan of rape revenge films I, I i feel like i don't know and i think
2: i i think that's a, that's one thing that stopped a film like this from being fully reappraised is that um when you say who's catharsis the sort of personal story behind the film is the male director was witness to and supported a woman who had been raped, um, in public, and or, or been sexually assaulted in public, and he saw how the the the, 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 the sort of system of police and you know be, did nothing to help her there. So he was he was from his perspective creating this film yeah. for a sort of catharsis, which doesn't always chime with the sort of modern day discourse where it's the people from the the community experience the uh, classes, maybe.
1: i i just want to say i don't know about the word kaharsis here because when i i i think it sounds obviously i mean i don't watch this film to get keharsis i i don't mm. i watch it and i'm i'm hurt by it you know mm. it's awful but it's great like i i mm. i'm changed by the films and I'm, I'm not going out there like uh oh I've got these like urges to like kill people so i'm gonna watch a film about people being killed and then I'll feel better like it's not keharsis you know it's like I this is I think this is why something it probably explains the way also like some people respond to films like this or just violent films in general. It's just it's not for me it's not catharsis in the sense like I feel better afterwards. Like no, I feel worse. <laughs> like I feel terrible. But this I the film changes me and I think this is a good thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Um and it changes me but in this obviously controlled way because it's a film. You mm. know? Uh and I think that's valuable. And I think it's just, some. Pe- I think some people in general just don't like the idea that films can change you and can actually mm-hmm. do something to you in a way that is painful, but not, but also pleasurable. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's a complicated relationship that you have with the film. It's not just catharsis. I think some, this is why some people, this is why there's all this, like, idea that our oh, horror is for sick people because they get pleasure out of this. And it's it's like a complex pleasure. It's not just straightforward. Like, you know, so I think the word catharsis has to be used like carefully.
2: Well, it, it, absolutely. And I'm using it very specifically in the sense of, um, it's stated by Mertzaki, the filmmaker that he, he experienced this and wanted to work, mm. work through it in a film. He's not a horror filmmaker. He made this film and would then tapped out and went back to his wall street job or whatever he did. Um, so it it, it it we we do have to be careful, as you say, because it's so easy to stray into who are the crazy people who want to watch this film for fun, mm-hmm. which is f- falling back on all of the nineteen seventies and eighties, um, you know, moral panics. But it, it is something that in this film, I, I, he is he is enacting a sort of social catharsis because there is a point when the crime is committed in this film, and she there's nowhere that she can turn to rather than to herself. Um, it, no it, it's fascinating I, and fascinating I find as well as part of an American independent cinema of the 1970s the way this is shot the handheld cinematography the, the rawness of it all is very much in the you know the genealogy of um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well before things got very splattery later mm-hmm. on this this is a very minimal film mm-hmm. in terms of what you see but it's um, drawn out and horrible when it, when those scenes do happen um, and I think all that just plays into why it's still controversial today we could talk about this for for, for a long time um (laughs) sophie eleanor thank you for uh, giving me your your thoughts and insights into i spit in your grave listeners what do you make of it please let us know at ldb lies on twitter truth and movies at tcolondon.com that's a lot of films for one week a lot of topics sophie eleanor thank you so much for joining me next week with the oscars on the horizon we're going to be talking through some of the categories and what we think should win we're also talking about Michael Bay's new film Ambulance and one of the breakout hits of last year, critically, the worst person in the world. Anna Sophie, thank you again. Listeners, please subscribe wherever you pod and if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love it if you left one for us. Until next week, we'll see you next time. Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Michael Leader, and my guests this week were Elena Lazic and Sophie Monk Kaufman. The podcast was produced by Jake Cunningham and edited by Steph Watts.